0: It's a great day. Glad you're here today. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 15. As you know, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is telling us how to live in this world as kingdom of God believers in an evil world. And he's telling us these things that you've heard it said, these things, and he says, but I say to you, and he said this over and over and over. This week, we're going to be talking about the disciples' prayer, traditionally known as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really found in John chapter 17, This is the disciples' prayer. This is how we are to pray for the kingdom to come. So if you would, stand as we read the word of God together. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 15. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God. To God. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study an errant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you that we are learning from Jesus this week. He would like us to pray to our Father in heaven. May we learn things today that we can apply to our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us the things that you want us to know in our lives individually. Touch each one of us in our area of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. There's a king coming. There's a king coming that's going to change everything. No more corrupt governments no more corrupt covid <laughs> no more corrupt anything last time I w- we met we talked about uh, jesus talked about giving praying and fasting and how the pharisees did it they did these things they gave they prayed they they prayed they fasted but they also wanted to be noticed and that was that's the antithesis of what a christian is all glory goes to god remember we don't want to be glory stealers When we are stealing the glory, what part of our being is being accentuated? Our spirit man or our flesh? It would be our flesh, that's right. And our flesh is what we want to sublimate, what we want to subdue. So remember, your flesh is always looking for more and more adulation. And all glory goes to our God. The Pharisees feigned worship, they took all the glory. Now I want you to remember this, you're a child of God. You've been born again into the family of God. You are a child of God. You're a son or daughter of Christ. You belong to the King. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner that is, that is honoring to our God. Now, with that stated, are we going to get it perfect here? No, Mr. Gorm, we're not going to get it perfect. No, no. No, remember, it's direction, not perfection. We're being a growth process of change. Now, remember this. We must deal with our flesh. Again, this is review, so we're not getting into the teaching just yet. How do we deal with our flesh? We have to crucify it. Galatians 5.24, we crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. We starve the flesh. We deny the flesh. We do not allow the flesh to have reign in our lives. You can do this by adding spiritual aspects to your life, like reading the Word. It's not optional. You must be in the Word. You must pray. You must be in fellowship. These are the things that you need to build up your spirit. You don't have to build up your flesh. You're living in this world that is a flesh smorgasbord. Remember, it's just feeding you constantly. Your flesh is already big and chubby. Just walking around can hardly take any more in. It's your spirit that you want to grow. Your spirit that you want to grow. And again, it's direction, not perfection. We're not going to get it perfect while we're here. Now this week, how disciples of Christ are to pray. Now, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we get a little idea as to why Jesus went into this prayer. He says this, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, why is, why is this question being asked now? Because Jesus has just talked about the Pharisee type pray, praying, and now these disciples are saying, well, if it's not like the Pharisees who were the uppity-uppities in that culture, What, how should we pray? And so Jesus is going to show them how to pray. So what is a disciple? This is a disciple of Christ's prayer. What is a disciple? Well, the word is a mathetes. A mathetes. And it's not only a learner, but to become attached to one's teacher. Secondly, a Jesus follower in doctrine and conduct. Now look at, we are to follow what Jesus taught. We don't just hear what Jesus taught. Take a little bit here and a little bit there and leave what we don't like. We follow what the master is teaching us. We stay attached to him to become like the rabbi. And I would suggest to you today that there are few real disciples of Christ in this world. Few real disciples of Christ. Few who really want to be like the master. Few who will really deny themselves. We, we, Americans don't deny anything deny yourself. What does it say? Take up your cross. And Jesus said, follow me. That is very, very rare. There's more fans of Jesus, folks, than followers of Jesus. There's more people that are waving from Jesus from the left center field seats and saying, go get him, Jesus, than actually in the game following him. Many people call this the Lord's Prayer. And it is said throughout this world in a perfunctory manner. Just rattle it off. Our Father our in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And say, 25 Our our Fathers and that's right. No, that is not what this prayer is about. This is the sample prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. And all aspects of this prayer, folks, are kingdom-directed. You are not citizens here. You are citizens of another world. We're being prepared for another place. Thank God. The older you get, the more thankful you are that you are not part of here. Now, when you're 18 years old, you think everything here is great. What's so bad about here? Well, just wait. Just wait. I'm not trying to be a downer to you, but just wait. It's, it, it, you know, 12th grade might be hard. I remember when I was in the 12th grade, I said, I can't believe this. This is the worst thing ever. I can't, I, what's life going to be like after the 12th grade? I can't wait to get out. And then it got more difficult and more, you know, it, it never is going to be great here. And that's good. Don't be comfortable here. The first... Six, these are six petitions. The first three are towards God. The last three are towards us. The first petition is this. There's an urgency set in each one of these. An urgency in verse 9 says this. In this manner, Jesus telling us today, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. My daddy in heaven. My Abba in heaven. This is a family prayer, folks. This is, we're part of God's family. We are in God's family. This is exclusively for family. Regular people have no business praying this. Most of the world do. But this is for disciples of Christ, real followers of Christ. Now this is for children of God. Sons and daughters of the king. How would you get to be a son and daughter of the king? John 1.12. Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You're a child of God. You know what that word is? It's technon. You are a technon. That is a natural born child. The second you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're called a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. You're born again into the family of God with full rights and privileges of the Son. Do you hear that? That's an amazing thing. Now, listen to this. Listen, we inherit what Jesus the Son has. Now, I have a few verses here for you. We'll go through these very quickly. Ephesians 1.11. In him, in Christ, we have an inheritance. Now, please don't underestimate what this means. Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Hebrews 9.14, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, and then the creme de la creme, the the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Romans 8.17, we're joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus. John MacArthur puts it this way in his study Bible. He says this, Every child of God will receive by divine grace the full inheritance Christ receives by divine right. Do you have any, any inkling of what is awaiting you? The inheritance, we can't, we can't conceive of it. But it's an astounding thing. Now you can see when we pray as children of God and the family of God, our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father, folks, is for us. Now, not all of us had great fathers in this world, but our Father is a perfect Father. He disciplines us. He provides for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I love this list. He loves us. He's a friend. He's a guide. He's a healer. He's a forgiver. He's a mercy giver. But you know what? He's a trainer. You are in training now for another world. You are in training now for another place. You're in Jesus' school. Until the time you die, you are in Jesus' school. We call him Abba, Papa, Daddy, intimacy and love. And because of that, we can say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Honor, holy honor, revered above all. Holy honor, no competitors with our God. No competitors, all kinds of phony gods in the culture, all kinds of false gods that want your attention. No competitors with our God. His, the name refers to the nature of the individual, in this, this case God, and we are to honor his name and revere his name. The first three petitions are directed to God appropriately. The first four commandments are directed to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So often we use God's name in a cursory manner. Oh God, just kind of passing. Hallowed be thy name. So often we use it in a perfunctory manner. Be very careful how you use the name of God. Remember, we want to represent him rightly. When we use his, do not take his name in vain, is more than just swearing. It, is, it is, means, actually, the real intended meaning is we don't misresent, misrepresent him in the culture we're living in. You claim to be a God follower. We have a responsibility to represent him as it is as indicated in the word of God. And folks, we have a lot to look forward to. We have an eternity, and inheritance that we cannot even fathom, cannot imagine. The second and third petition are found in verse 10. Your kingdom come. Listen to the the plea here. The plea. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second petition is your kingdom come. And I want to suggest to you that the cry of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, real believers, real disciples of Christ, is this. Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, and indelibly imprint this on your mind. Just Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Come for us, Lord. Come for us. Come for us. Revelation 22 ends with Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Come and save us. The kingdom, folks, is future. The kingdom is future. There's a real kingdom that is coming to this world, and Jesus will reign. It is future. The kingdom is future. It is not now. Now, let me say something here. There is something that is going through Christendom, and it's called kingdom now theology, and I've mentioned this in the past. It's really spearheaded by what is called the New Apostolic Reformation. What this means is that the church is getting better and better and better, and we're going to usher in the kingdom of God because the church has just taken over the world, taken over the world. This is not what the Scripture says. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said, when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, it would be like the days of Noah. You know what days of Noah were like? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And they ignored God. Ignored Noah. He preached for a whole bunch of years. He was ignored, ignored, ignored. And that's what people are doing today. Frogs in the, in, in, in the water getting cooked up and not even moving, not even trying to jump out of the pot. Not realizing that we're going towards a one world government, globalism. The whole world is changing right before our eyes and people are ignoring it. Oh no, we're not ushering in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, when we did our study in Revelation, you remember the last church, the seventh church was the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, which predominates today in our world, that he'll spew you out of his mouth. Remember what Jesus said in Second Th- Thessalonians chapter 2, an indication of the end will be an apostasy. Of falling away from the true faith. There's going to be all kinds of people saying Jesus this and Jesus that, but not really following the master. Far from him. Now, they have something called the seven mountain mandate. And this is actually, I mean, this would be terrific if the church was going to be doing this. But you know who's going to do this? Jesus. Let me ask you this question. How is the church doing with arts and entertainment? Do you see it getting more righteous and holy? Do you see your television having anything on it decent that you can watch? How about in business? That's as corrupt as can be. Education, that has taken a header down. The family, that now they want to destroy the nuclear family, questioning whether it should even exist. Government, that's a laugh. Media, religion, and you can see Jesus like, oh I thought that my, so my kingdom is not of this world. Hey, look it. Thy kingdom come. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming it is not now now i want you to think about this if you've been here for a while we did a study in daniel we talked about the time of the gentiles gentiles will rule in this world from babylonian captivity and trample down jerusalem from babylonian captivity to the second coming of christ is the time of the gentiles Luke twenty one twenty four. and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. Let me suggest to you this, Jerusalem right now is still trampled by the Gentiles. There are four quarters in Jerusalem, Jewish, Arab, Arminian, and Christian. Th- three of those are Gentiles. Three of those, are the Jews don't have full control of that city. Now, I want you to realize there will be a day when Jesus comes back and he will crush Antichrist kingdom, which will be established very soon, I believe. Now, hear this. Daniel had a dream. Okay, remember, we study in our book of Daniel. Daniel had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a statue. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And that Babylon would be the head of gold. Persia's... Would be the silver, Greece would be bronze. The iron and the, the legs would be iron, solid iron. This would be Rome. The dream revealed events that would take place over a long span of time. The culmination, however, takes place in the last days. We are in this phase, next photo, or next slide. Not that one, the one after that. Sorry, got him out of order. This one. But you will come back to that one momentarily, Emma? So this is just another picture of this, but the, what I want to emphasize is today Roman imperialism was Rome proper. Rome split up in 30 AD to a right, to, a, to an east and west branch, an east and west branch. Today that is Roman imperialism divided. There's an east-west branch or an east-west group of nations today that are ruling. Those nations might change but there is always going to be an east west block that will be competing with one another. So you see that today. The next thing that's going to happen is there will be a global government. This will fall apart very quickly. It'll break down into 10 ruling areas. And I had a map when we were going through our teaching how the United Nations has already developed our world into 10 different areas 10 different ruling areas. This is already in place. However, This will last for a short period of time because in the middle of the tribulation, what happens is Antichrist rises up. He wants to reign. And you're almost there, Emma. You can put the next one up. Be good. Because what's going to happen is Antichrist will reign. He will have his kingdom for three and a half years. He will demand to be worshipped as God. And at the end of that three and a half years, at the the seventh year of the tribulation, Jesus comes back and he is the rock that crushes these kingdoms and the whole thing implodes. Remember, each kingdom has a little part of the kingdom that has preceded it. And we are living in a world today where Babylon actually is coming to more and more of a highlight. False religious systems, false economic systems, that sort of thing. Daniel chapter 2, 44 gives you these words Listen to the word of God spoken by Daniel and the prophet. Hundreds and hundreds of years before this came to fruition. He, came, he was in Babylon. He was also in Persia. But he was not in Greece. He was not in Rome. He was not into the divided kingdom. He's not into the global religion. He prophesied these things and they happened just as prophesied. Listen to what he says. In the, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's Jesus as thy kingdom come which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone, which was Jesus Christ cut out of the mountain, which is a kingdom without hands and that it broke in pieces. And he's going to describe the statue, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. These past kingdoms came, folks. They came just as ordered, and will unfold just as depicted in Scripture. We are in the divided kingdom now, rapidly going to the one world government, which will not work, which will not work. Jesus' kingdom is future. Our main job while we are here is to glorify God with our lives. I hope you know that. The Westminster Convention says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Life here is not about us being hilariously happy. It is not. It's about glorifying God and whatever calling he has given us. The church is not going to make the world better in preparation for Messiah. Jesus, in fact, will come and rescue the church from this evil world. That's called the rapture of the church. Your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. The third petition is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen to this. In this prayer, we're doing very unusual for humans, okay? I yield my control, my will to you, Lord Jesus. Can you call him Lord? Can you call him curios, master, ruler, owner? Can you call him that for real? Or is he just kind of a sidelight? Add Jesus onto your life. Oh no, if he's kurios, he's in the center. If he's your Lord, he's in the center of everything. The desire of every disciple is, thy will be done in my life. I yield rulership to you, Lord Jesus. Volitionally, I bow to you. You know what this is? Listen to this. You were saved. The moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were saved. You had Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You are looking perfect in the eyes of a holy God because of the blood of Christ. After salvation, my entire life is directed at submitting my rights and my ways to Jesus' rule. The second phase of salvation, folks, is sanctification, and it means set apart unto God. Now, we have had this slide before, and it talks about the different tenses of salvation. But we inculcate, we teach by repetition. So realize this slide is an important slide. You were saved in the past, past tense. I got saved, you know, 1967, 1968, a little hotel room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's past. You got saved yesterday. That's past. You were saved in the past, justified, free from the penalty of sin, which is death. Now you are living out your second tense is sanctification, free from the separated from the power of sin. You have the ability within you, the Holy Spirit power, as you know, to say no to your flesh and yes to your spirit. There's no Christian that can say, legitimately say, I can't. Well, I guess you can say I can't, but God can in you. I can do all things through Christ, not in my own power. But realize you can overcome anything. Don't ever say, that you are powerless over a situation. You are not. The future tense, hip hip hooray, is the state of glorification. That's the presence of God. That is the state of perfection, no longer temptable. Can you imagine? We'll be like Jesus, no longer temptable. You're not going to be having any of these times where all of a sudden this thing comes into your mind and goes, you know, where did that come from? It came from your depraved nature. We're not going to be, get this right until we're glorified. God has to make us right. He glorifies us in the future. State of perfection. Ask yourself this question. Can you honestly pray your kingdom come? Your will be done. Again, most Christians cannot pray this. They're too anchored here. Too grounded here. Too interested in this world and its stuff. Too interested in my kingdom here. How I'm building my kingdom and my stuff. Now, the next three petitions are going to be directed towards us. Starts in verse 11, the fourth petition. Watch what he says. Give us this day our daily bread. Very short, very succinct. Now, we don't have a problem with this prayer in America. America is a country where we have an abundance. Even the poorest people, there is hunger in our country. But when you look at the rest of the world, we have an abundance of stuff. An abundance of stuff. But I want you to realize, and this is truth, there's 800 million people on this earth that do not know where their next meal is coming from. They're in the process of starving, and they just don't know. Most of those are found in the 1040 window, and I was going to give you that map again of the 1040 window where it's Hinduism, Islam, and those sort of things predominate. Where Christ reigns, generally the spirit People prosper. Where he doesn't in his false gods reign, the people suffer. And you can see that. When we ask for bread, folks, we are asking for the sustainer of life, the one that gives you life and breath and all things to supply your needs. God knows exactly what you need. He is your Papa. He is your Abba. He is your daddy. He delights in helping his children, asking God to provide our needs does not free us from something, the responsibility of working. Now, a lot of people want to be Christians where I'm just praying that Jesus does everything for me like a little bird with your mouth open. Jesus, drop my food in, get my stuff, make me prosperous, Jesus. No, that is not what it is. He expects us to work. Our responsibility is clear. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, (laughs) Do all work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not men as the Lord God you are serving your work folks is a ministry your work is a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ you are an ambassador of Christ in your workplace if you are a Christian now look at your job is not to go there and preach all day long but when you can when there's the opportunity and the door creaks open what do you do? you put your little foot in wiggle a little room and then speak on behalf of your lord if people want to hear great if they don't want to hear no one to be quiet there's a time to talk there's a time not to talk we are to be a witness at our work nobody should know should be wondering if you're, you're a believer or not your your life your life is important but your words are important also shock your employer shock them by doing these things, remember the Bennon brothers shared this several times in the last 15 years since we've been doing this. Shock them by doing these four things: produce more in work than you make in pay. What? 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 A, no, I, no. The average American wants to get by with mediocrity and be as lazy as you possibly can. Get to work a little early. Do your job while you're there. Stay a little bit later if you have to. Nobody likes that, but stay. Okay? Number one. Secondly, shock them by being faithful in the little things, the insignificant things. And then number three, shock them. Be a fountain, not a drain. What does that mean? There are people that just come to work whining and complaining through the whole thing. Now, believe me, I know whining and I know complaining and I know murmuring. And I have to check myself constantly in doing that. But please, be a fountain. Pour in instead of draining the place. Pour in. And finally, the last thing, please, of all things, breathe life. Breathe the breath, the life of Christ into your workplace. If you do that, you're going to be salt and light. And we're talking about Jesus in the the similitudes in in Matthew chapter 5. We're being salt and light. Be a little fertilizer while you're there. Sprinkle some truth around while you're there. When you do these things, you're going to be a standout employee. You will. You're going to be special. The fifth petition is this. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some translations say trespasses as we forgive our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others their sins. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, what you need to know is that first century Judaism used debts as an idiom for sins. Okay, know that. Now, why call our sins a debt? Why call our sins a debt? Well, Jesus calls our sins debts because we owe a penalty. What's the penalty? The death penalty. The soul that sins, it shall die says in Isaiah 18:20. the very second that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil they started to die they started to die they started to die physically they were instantly dead spiritually separated from God now these, these people lived 900 years but they still died Methuselah lived to be 969 years but guess what happened to him he died He died. He gave the Q sign, you know, at one time in his life. He was he was done. Everybody dies, everybody moves on. And Adam's sin, now look at he was he was mankind's representative. And because of that, his indiscretion, his sin was imputed or credited to every human ever born. For by one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And death passed upon all men or all mankind because they have sinned. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all come into this world with a death curse, separation from God forever. Now, what did Jesus do? I mean, it's like, I don't know, you guys didn't, you don't know, Rin Tin Tin, but he's coming. Jesus is coming. He rescued us. Jesus paid our debt for sin. Our debts are forgiven through Jesus alone. Folks, there's no other mediator, a go-between, a messy taste that can do that. Only Jesus can pay the debt for your sin. He's the only sinless sacrifice. No Allah, no Hindu Veda gods, no Buddha, no Krishna's, no other way. The entrance into the kingdom of God is the narrow way. It's open. It's wide open to everyone. But it is only through Jesus Christ. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus said. He is the gate. Our debts are forgiven through Jesus alone. Now, guess what? Glory of glories. You will one day get a new body, a new genome. The instant that Adam sinned, he had something happen inside his genome, inside his cells. It, was, it became programmed cell death. It is called apoptosis. Your cells started to die. When you get glorified, now I don't know if we're going to have cells on our new body or not, but this is just for this discussion, okay? We will not have any apoptosis going on. There will be no more programmed death coming to you. You're going to get an eternal body that will live forever. No more COVID. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I can say that loud and clear. Amen. No more cancer. No more diabetes, pain, weakness, bodies falling apart. And by the way, arthritis, which 90% of you already have in here. No more of that. No more of that. Your new body awaits you. And folks, this is not a fairy tale. This is make-believe. This is not Marvel Comics. Okay, this is real. You're going to get a new body. And I can say this, and I bet you can say it too. Thank God for sending Jesus to die in my place to pay my sin debt. Thank God. Amen. That was, that was, that was very good. I have been forgiven much. I must forgive others. This is the Jesus way. As we forgive our debtors. Now look at most of us say Jesus forgiving me. That's cool. I like that. That's terrific stuff right there. All my sins are under the blood of Christ. I am perfect according to, to the father because of Jesus. I am a perfect person. But me forgiving others. Well, they don't deserve that. I want my pound of flesh. I want my payback. Oh, no, no, no. We are to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Jesus has taught us, when we forgive others, we are doing what Jesus modeled. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To his brutalizers, you are being prepared for the kingdom, folks. And realize this, your preparation starts here. This isn't about you being comfortable, although I like comfort. I love my recliner and clicker. I love my little warming blanket. Oh, I'm into that whole thing. But it's not about that. That's flesh, okay? That's, that's why I'm, I'm living here. I'm, I'm real. <laughs> but we're being prepared for another kingdom. We're citizens of another place. We're citizens of another place, as it says in Hebrews. We're aliens and strangers. We're just passing through this thing. The sixth petition, verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep me from the enemy's schemes and tactics. Keep me from his, from his assaults. Remember, Satan, Satan's assault point in your life is where? Your mind. Your mind, your mind. He wants to distract you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to make sure there's a lot of delusion out there. And ultimately he wants to destroy you. Now he can't take your salvation. He can't destroy you. I don't think he, I don't think Satan has the right to touch you physically. I don't think he has a right to touch you emotionally. He can try to control your mind. He can put thoughts in your mind, but we are to deal with that. We're going to see most, some action steps in just a second on how to deal with that. Our prayer is that God keeps us from the horrendous pull of temptation. Believe me, the demonic realm is real. The bait that is dropped for you is perfect for you. To lure you away. Each one of us has our own thing. Your bait's not going to be the the same as my bait. Our cravings of our flesh, the pull of the world, flesh, and the devil are real and god will deliver us from the schemes the wiles the methodia as it says in ephesians 6:11 of the evil one his well time tested tactics his schemes he's a master at deceiving us folks guard your mind guard your life watch what you are allowing into your minds television, movies, internet. What we get 24-7 by these inputs because of technology. Guard your mind. He wants to destroy you. Spiritual warfare is real. He is ruthless. 1 John 5.18 says this, guard yourself. Guard yourself. If you do, the wicked one cannot touch you, cannot haptomai, cling unto you. See, that's what he wants to do. He wants to drag you down, drag you down, drag you down. That is his goal. So what do we do as the people of God? What is our protection? It's not our strength. Remember, Satan is way more powerful. He's the most powerful, beautiful creation that God created. We're no match for him in the natural. Our power comes from staying close to our shepherd, being filled with the spirit of God. Stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to Jesus. He will protect you from the evil one in his schemes. Listen to this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. It doesn't say, I am faithful. The Lord is faithful that he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That's a promise. You stay close to your shepherd. Now, you have a handout. Some of you have a handout. A few of you have a handout, okay? But in that handout, there's going to be some action steps in dealing with Satan. And I think these are important. We do not have time to go through a whole spiritual warfare talk. Hit the high points. So number one, armor on. You have been given armor of God to protect you from this wily creature enemy. Keep it on. You have pieces to the armor, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, gospel belt, gospel shoes. You, got, you have these things. Don't be wondering when the battle comes, where's my shoes? If you're in my house, I'm going to be saying, Chris, where's my shield? Where's my shield? I can't find my shield. I can't, you know. Keep your armor on, okay? Keep your, be ready for the attack. And then Stand. Four times we were told to stand fast in the faith. Dig your gospel shoes in, stand fast, and it was going to be a perfect place for the bull up there, not to be moved by like the blizzard, okay? You've seen that a million times, so I didn't put it there, but stand fast in the faith. And then James's admonition, number one, submit yourself to God. You want to have power, submit yourself to God. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And folks, take captive every thought because the battle is a battle for the control of your mind and make it obedient to Christ. And you can. Do you know this? Your enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, we have a picture here of a roaring lion. Now, that's a fierce-looking dude right there, isn't it? This is what Satan looks like. But I want to, don't put the next one up just yet. Let me preface it with this. The next one you will see is what Satan is in our lives if we stay close to Christ. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. Those are demonic strongholds, okay? He made a spectacle of them triumphing over them. This is a picture of a victorious Roman general parading his, the defeated army through the streets of Rome. You stay close to Jesus, and this is what Satan looks like in your life. He's a little edentulous. He might try to roar, but he has no teeth. You get away from the cover of Jesus, and this is what he's like. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to your shepherd. He'll protect you from this enemy. He will. He will protect you. Moving on. Verse 14 and 15. Folks, we are to have a spirit of forgiveness. A spirit of forgiveness permeating for for other people. A spirit of forgiveness towards others. Now, this is a scary verse. If you're just doing a cursory read-through here, this is going to shake your, your, your foundation. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, their sins, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a scary verse. Let's see what it actually means. If we do not forgive others, our relationship with God will be hindered. There will be a block there. There's sin there. Okay? Still saved, but a block. But a block. We cannot ask God to forgive us if we are unwilling to forgive others. Forgiveness is a requisite for for Christians. Now, what this is not saying, this is not saying that we must forgive to be saved. I think an overshoot of being saved is having a forgiving spirit, but it isn't saying we have to forgive to be saved or that would be a work. And salvation is not by works. Every person in this room Every single one, don't care what your age is, the older you are, the more you have of this, have been wronged. You've had very valid reasons for harboring ill will. But we must work on having a forgiving spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit within us. Forgiving others will sometimes require a miracle of God. It's so bad it's so egregious. We can't do this on our own. I always use Corey ten Boom when Betsy was killed, and she had, the, she had to forgive that guard that was responsible for her death, and she did face-to-face with that guy afterwards. What an amazing thing. It was only God could do that. Those are the miracles. But forgiveness gives you your life back. It doesn't mean that something is okay. Oh, no. But it means that I'm not going to be controlled by that situation in my past forgiveness allows you to be like paul and move on move on in life paul writ, wrote these words chained to a roman a roman guard in prison philippians chapter 3 13 and 14 these are a move on verse forgetting what is behind forgetting what is behind he's saying this after he's been beaten rods, he's beaten with, with stripes, he was, he was shipwrecked, stoned, this guy was brutalized. You go through the things in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it just is a litany of things that he went through, astounding things that he was able to forgive. Not because of him, because of God in him. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, we press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Don't get stuck in your past. Do not dwell on past sins against you. Move on. Do not dwell on your past failures. You know, there are some people feel that they've been such a failure, they can never be forgiven. That's a lie. Anything can be forgiven. The only thing that can't be forgiven is disbelief. You're not going to believe in Jesus. You can can be forgiven anything. And do not allow your past to define your future. Move on. You can be free, free from the pain of the past. FIDO. F-I-D-O. Forget it and drive on. This was an acronym coined by a Marine lieutenant named Cleeb McCleary. And Cleeb had a situation where he was on Hill 146 in Vietnam And he lost his left arm, his left eye, his eardrums were burst, his right hand is mutilated, had 34 major operations, and he had to determine when he went home, was he going to live on Hill 146 or was he going to move on? He became a motivational speaker and he coined this term, forget it and drive on. There's more for your life ahead of you. Don't let that past experience define your future, or your present. Forget it and move on. You can be free from the past pain. Now, this verse may help you with forgiveness. And it is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. It will come up on the screen. Come to me. This is Jesus crying to everybody in, 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 the, in his family. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. Now, that would be all of us. Okay, all of us are walking around. You know, we might be trying to be Hercules, but we're all walking like this in reality. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, watch watch the character of Jesus, gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest if you are yoked to Jesus for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You want to have rest, you get yoked to Jesus. It's just that simple. Have a spirit of forgiveness, and be set free. Now, in closing, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, disciples how to pray. This is a disciple of Christ prayer. This isn't for the rest of the world. A disciple of Christ prayer, a pattern, a model to follow. This prayer is straightforward, It is simple, but deeply profound. Jesus has taught us something here. The Jesus way to pray. Now we have a responsibility. We are to go and do what we have been taught. Remember, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And maybe, just maybe, this prayer will mean more to you today than it has in the past. Just maybe. Every Christmas season, we read this verse. And I don't know if you associate it with the kingdom, but this is a kingdom verse. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the prince of peace and of the increase of government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David. He'll reign in his kingdom. He will order it, establish it and watch this with judgment and justice. When Jesus comes, there will be no lawlessness from that time forward. Even forevermore. What time? When Jesus comes, breaks those, those kingdoms, and establishes his kingdom. The rock comes. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabboth, the God of armies will assure that this will happen. God's indescribable gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. The, our child that was born, the son that was given is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, folks, is the king of glory. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus will establish His kingdom. Of the increase of His kingdom, there shall be no end. No end. I'm going to ask you to do something that we usually don't do here, but would you please stand? And we're going to do disciples of Christ are going to pray together this prayer. Please follow me. And say this, maybe from your heart like never before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remain standing. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us this prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. And in this prayer, we are praying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The heart's cry of every believer is Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come and rescue us. We need you. Your children are hurting. Your children are living in this world today. As Chris was saying, more persecuted now than in the history of our world. There are more people dying for their faith. An astounding thing, Lord. Worse than the Roman emperors. Worse than any time in history. And your children are dying. We look forward to the day when you will come and rescue your church. You will come and take your people to be with you. We say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for allowing us to pray this prayer as disciples of Christ. Thank you for loving us, dying for us, raising from the dead, and promising to come back for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.